Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz trumpeter, tap dancer, and all-around entertainer here in Kansas City, Lonnie McFadden. He was born and raised here in Kansas City and spent decades traveling the world, performing and representing Kansas City jazz and major festivals and shows. These days, he's just as busy as he's always been. He's promoting his newest CD, 2018's Live at the Green Lady. And coming up in August of 2018, he will be quite busy around KC venues for the Charlie Parker festivities. He's a Kansas City favorite, and the McFadden brothers received the Lifetime Achievement Awards from the Jazz Museum of May in 2016 and Living Legends Awards from Tapology in October 2017. We talked about all of this and so much more, so please get to know Lonnie and dig this interview, my friends. Lonnie, thanks for taking a minute for Neon Jazz. It's an honor to speak to you. Oh, my, my pleasure. No doubt about it. So let's go ahead and dive in here. I love Live at the Green Lady. That, that just sounds like it was a good time, man. It was a good time. I have to tell you, man, I, I, I'm surrounded by all these young, great musicians, so how can it not be fun? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's so good to have the Green Lady, which is turning into a bona fide international institution to play jazz in Kansas City. I agree. And now with the, uh, with the Black Dolphin right next door, as a matter of fact, now I'm over at the Black Dolphin every week, you know, and so that's, uh, that's like an annex to the to the green lady absolutely so how long was this live recording in the making had you been thinking about doing it for a while if i'm to be completely honest i it wasn't my idea at all it was john scott he approached me he just asked me if i wanted to go out and have lunch he wanted to talk to me about a couple of things now mind you i wasn't one of the people that played at at green lady so i had no idea what he wanted to talk about i thought he wanted to offer me a gig here and there and and when we started having lunch, he started talking about, asking me if I ever thought about recording live. I said, yeah, but I'd like to, but, you know, I, I don't ever have any place that I get a full rhythm section because of the logistics, the money and everything. And we started talking, and he just asked me if I would be interested in doing it at Green Lady. And I said, yeah, and it, and it just happened that way. And, and so what he did, he scheduled me to play at Green Lady one time a month for four months. And on the fifth month, we we recorded. And what happened, he had just bought the Black Dolphin. He hadn't even officially opened. He hadn't had a grand open. But he asked me if I would like to do it over there because they have a uh, a stage and lighting and everything. And he said it would it would probably be more conducive to what I do. And I said, yeah. So we actually recorded Live at Green Lady at the Black Dolphin because it had just opened. <laughs> Very cool, man. That's a great way to christen the joint. That's for sure. I, um, yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way, but I think so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this was a question I was going to wait to ask you as we kind of got going, but I think we're leading into it now. You talked about the cats that were backing you up on this recording and just kind of in general. What do you think about the Kansas City Jazz scene? How happy are you in 2018 with it? Oh my God. It's the best I've ever seen it in my lifetime. I mean, I, I, I've, I've heard the stories from my father about the 20s and 30s. So in, in the recordings back that up with Lester Young, Count Basie, Big Joe Turner, Charlie Parker, I, the list goes on and on. 
But now, what we're seeing now with all, and again, I think Bobby Watson has a lot to do with it. All these young guys are coming and studying with him, and he's turning out all of these young monsters. I mean, there there's so many guys that are 35 and under that play so good now. There's so many of them. And I, I love it, man. I It's like they they keep all of us honest. You know, we, we have to all yeah. of us have to be on our toes. There are people moving here from Colorado and from from uh, St. Louis and from New York to play here because there's so many places, so many venues, and the level of musicianship, like I said, in my lifetime, it's better than it's ever been. It seemed to me, and I've been doing this show since 2011, that around that time, Kansas City was always kind of seen as a springboard to another big city. And it seems now, with the way the scene is, this is the destination. Is that accurate, you think? Yeah, I think it is. And I think a lot of people don't realize it yet. I I really wish that, that somebody, I, I don't think I have the juice or the, the clout, but maybe if a, collectively, if a lot of us start writing, what I'm saying is that, that if somebody like Jazz's Magazine, a downbeat, would do a, uh, a, a detailed, you know, feature on Kansas City in the music scene, I think a lot of people would really, all over the world, would be surprised at how good the music scene is here right now. And a lot of musicians would not believe it. I know I, I got people, friends of mine from Vegas and, and New York that call me, and when I tell them about what I'm doing, they, the first thing is they don't you dare leave there, Lonnie. There's <laughs> nothing like that here. Yeah, you know, it's, it's awesome, man. This is Kansas City is the place to be if you want to play jazz. So the other thing that's going on in your life right now is I, I looked at the schedule for the 2018 Charlie Parker festivities, and you are booked solid. So talk to me about why this is so important for Kansas City to celebrate the spirit of Charlie every year. Now, that's, that's, that's interesting. Even the question is interesting because here in Kansas City, here's a guy that, is iconic all over the world. All, all anywhere in the world, any place I've ever been, when I tell them I'm from Kansas City, one of the first things they mention is Charlie Parker. And that's anybody. George Benson, when I first mentioned, met him years ago, first person he talked about is Charlie Parker. And he went on to say how nobody has, has outdone the, the last run that Charlie, the last part of Just Friends. No musician to this day has ever outdone what Charlie Parker did on that. I mean, for, to me, what, what we, we have failed, not, not people like me and a lot of musicians, but I don't think the city realizes what an impact Charlie Parker has made on the entire musical world. Not just jazz, even. I mean, the, the, the world of music, period. And he's from right here in Kansas City. I think that is that is uh, it's unbelievable when I think about the accomplishments that he's made and the the the, the ways that he's changed the way all of us play. It's not it's not just alto players. Everybody since Charlie Parker plays different. He changed the way all of us play. And I think when you when you really look at the the musical contributions that that he made in his short lifetime, it's uh. It's almost unparalleled. I mean, he's he's like the Mozart of jazz. I mean, he's 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 he he really 
I, I can't say enough good about him. And the more I learn, the more I I respect him. The older I get, it's it's amazing. When I was little, I thought this was just a guy that was a friend of my dad. <laughs> you know, I used to hear my father <laughs> and all his friends talk. They really they tell so many stories about about birds. They, they all of them just said, "Yeah, man, bird used to," and and they would be talking about him. And so I just felt like this was a guy that they they liked. And then after I got to be about 10 or 11 years old, and I started trying to play the trumpet, and my father started really pulling out these old 78 records of Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie, and then some of them had Charlie Parker and Miles. And I started listening, and I was trying to actually play some of it. That's when I began to realize. But I still have to tell you, Joe, I didn't realize the impact that he made on the entire world so I got mm-hmm. older and started traveling myself. Then I realized, first time I went to Japan, everybody over there in, in Japan, when I mentioned I'm from Kansas, they talked about Charlie Parker. First time I went to Europe. First time I went to any of these places, Charlie Parker, Charlie Parker. So I don't come close to living up to it, but he kind of paved the way for any musician that's from Kansas City. They expect you to be able to play. <laughs> they Absolutely. The the one thing that I, of, of all the things that I've read and heard about Charlie Parker, one of the most fascinating things that I've ever heard was Terry Gibbs. He's in his 90s. He knew Charlie, had a lot of heydays with him. And he said at one point, he had that old man, 90-ish logic. He said, that man will never happen. That person will never happen again. It's like a spaceship dropped him onto this planet, and it will never happen again. That, and, that, yeah. And when I hear when I heard that man, I was like, "You're right." I mean, it, it, it's something, and you're totally right that I don't know that the world understands, and it transcends jazz. It is a it level of of music that was so off the charts, and the fact that he was only 35 and he yeah. squeezed all of that—it's—it's it's mind blowing. You know, I agree with so. everything you're saying, Joe. Everything. I mean, it's 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 really hard to. To, to uh, wrap my mind around it when I think of he just came here. He he had his own way of doing it, and it was so perfect. It was so perfect for what was already going on that what he did was so logical. It was mathematically and harmonically correct, and it, it was he had this approach that was so fascinating and fast. I mean, it was just, it was perfect. It was perfect. I mean... And they've analyzed his music in so many ways by now. It's, I mean, you know, when I think of Super Sax, when I was coming up, when they put that group together, Super Sax, it tripped me out. I was thinking, here's the guy that my dad and them was their buddy with, that I used to hear stories about, that there's a saxophone, uh, there's a band that has dedicated this whole album to the solos of Charlie Parker. I mean, we here in Kansas City, I don't think, the masses in Kansas City, at least, understand the impact that this man has made on the world. And he's from right here. Yeah. There are not that many is, yeah. places on earth that, 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 that can say so-and-so lived here and they made such a big impact on the entire world. It's like being, it's like being able to say Einstein grew up around here or Mozart grew up around here. We're able to say Charlie Parker grew up. That's awesome. That yeah, unbelievable to me. I mean, that is yeah. so cool to me. Totally. Well, and you get to pay homage to him over these coming weeks in August. How does that feel? 
feels great and it feels it feels right. It feels respectful. It feels uh it feels right. It's something that I do anyway. And that's that's one one of the it might be one of the reasons that, that I was invited to be a part of it this year. That's something that I do I have done every year around his birthday. I always you know, and I'm not a saxophone player and I've never been what what a lot of people call a true jazz musician. I'm an entertainer and I use jazz as my format. But I it's I would always try to step out of my comfort zone this time of year in in August every year to, to for I don't know how many years to uh to pay homage to Charlie Parker. And his music is difficult, it's it's fun to play, it's uh it's exciting and it's intricate. It's it's a, it's got a lot of things to it that, that make it just wonderful for me to try to now this year of course is different. Because I am part of the official celebration, so it's 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 intimidating to me, man. I gotta step up my game in a way that I never have and I I'm enjoying it. I enjoy the challenge because uh I, I have so much respect for the music and the things that he did and that I I'm I, to be honest with you, I'm I'm more than honored and, and humbled that they asked me because I I'm just one of many people in this city that are out there really trying to play this music. So I'm glad that that I was asked. I, I and I mean that sincerely. I I, that I did it didn't have to be me. And I was going to do some. I do some for Charlie Parker every year, but to be be thought of as as a person that should be in the celebration. I I'm really I'm really honored. I, I Kansas City's been good to me. It really has. Beautiful. You are Kansas City through and through. You come from a music lineage. So yeah. tell me, how, where did you grow up? How did you get into music? Kind of give me a timeline of how things started for you in that music path. I grew up in the 60s in, in the inner city in Kansas City. I grew up on 29th and Euclid. I went to Lincoln High School. I started, I started in entertainment as a tap dancer because my father was a tap dancer. Back in his heyday, he used to dance with Count Basie and Jay McShann and all. As a matter of fact, I met Jay McShann in, in my mom and dad's dining room. One day, I, I used to have a band as a teenager, and we used to practice in my mom's basement. And my father hollered downstairs. He said, hey, you guys, come here. I want, to, want you to meet a friend of mine. And we came up, it was Jay McShane. <laughs> and they were kicking it, talking about the old days, you know. And it's like I've had a lot of experiences like that because my father, when he was raising us, he was just daddy. He had Those days were basically behind him, but he still had all these these great jazz musician friends. And when they would come to town, my, they would look. I mean, my father was really their friend. They, so they'd look him up and they would they hang out, and he, I met some of those people through him, but it's like I didn't start playing the trumpet until after I had learned how to tap dance. I learned how to tap dance. I don't really know how old I was when I started, but I, I always tell people in the bandstand that the first time I was at a point I could get paid, I was six years old. It was me and my brother Ronald and my father. Obviously, he was the only one really that was really able to tap dance, but he had his two sons, and we were we were okay. We were cute. I mean, we had our little tuxedos <laughs> on, and and he was really dancing though. But but we looked good dancing around him, and and he showed us, and 
and I never, I never really stopped, even though I didn't do it in public because of peer pressure growing up. And that's what made me want to learn the trumpet because coming up when I did, the popular bands in the inner city were James Brown and Cool in the Gang and, and, uh, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, Chicago, uh, all that kind of stuff. You know, that's what was going on when I was, you know, starting to, to get to the age where you like girls and stuff and you want to be accepted by your peers. And so I, I picked up the trumpet and Ronald picked up the alto. And that's when our real appreciation for Charlie Parker started, when we were like 10 and 11 years old. And by the time we were teenagers and trying to really, really play, his music was, as a matter of fact, even though I had a funk band, the first jazz song that I had my, my funk slash R&B band to play was a Charlie Parker tune called, he, he named it on some recordings, it's called Bigfoot. Some of them, some recordings it's called. But Bigfoot is the, probably the one that, that a lot of people call it, but it's another. I, I thought of it and then my brain just went. So anyway. But it's ba da 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 Okay, Ronald and I to this day we have a, a a song that we play as the McFadden brothers where we call it a bebop medley. But we started off with that. We said da 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 And that that's the way we start our bebop medley. And that's the song that we learned when we were like, I don't know, 12, 13 years old. And I remember we used to, we used to stand in the, in the, uh, in the front door back then. I don't know if you're old enough to remember when you, you'd have the big console stereos in your house with, oh, yeah. that would have the, the, the television and the, the record player and all of that. Yeah. We used to stand in my mom and dad's front door in the screen door and put on Charlie Parker. And uh, and Dizzy Gillespie playing Scrabble for that one. Everybody in the neighborhood thought, "Oh my God!" <laughs> they thought we were unbelievable because we, we knew the solos, so, so we would look like we were playing, but we couldn't play in it. Right? So that's we've been we've been uh, we've always Ronald and I have always tried to play like Charlie Parker. Yeah, beautiful. Now, so you've always been comfortable with the stage. You're talking at six. You started. So for your whole life, that's just like breathing for you. It is home for me now. I, I have to admit, it's it's my safe haven, and I yeah yeah that's that's a good yeah. When I get on the bandstand, I'm more comfortable there than I am sitting in the audience or if I go to a party or anything. I'm I'm not as comfortable on the bandstand. I feel like I know what to do. I'm I'm sometimes awkward around people. You know, I don't know what to say or what to do. Sure. Let me ask you this. As far as, like, teachers and mentors in your life that really gave you advice that stuck for all these years, who do you remember? What did they say? I remember my father more than anybody. Even though he wasn't a musician, he told me things that I still remind myself of. He said, when you play, try to say something. And that's one one thing everybody in his generation it's not about even Charlie Parker. If you listen to him, it's yes, his feed is fantastic. It's unbelievable. But Charlie Parker's saying something. He's talking to you. He's 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 uh, communicating. And my father used to always talk to me and Ronald and said, "Man, you got to say something." And I still think about that. That's that's uh, that's important to me. I think about the practice, the way he used to always 
tell, you know, if I hear somebody that, that I liked when I was like 12, 13, you say, you got to practice. You got to. And so I still, my father was my mentor. He was my friend. He was my mentor. He was my example of what, what I want to be with other people, the way he was. So I've had teachers, but none of them made the impact that my father made. My father was, he was, he was hands-on with, with, with everything that Ronald and I tried to do. And so he's, he's the one. Absolutely. So at this point in the, the history of Kansas City lore, you're a veteran, you're well-respected, but leading up to this point in your life, you played around a lot of big names, shared the stage you and Ronald did with, you know, the Count Basie yeah. Orchestra, Wayne Newton, Sammy yeah. Davis Jr. What did you learn from those greats that have made you teach others and give to them? Well, one, I don't know if I, I, I teach it by saying it. I, I would like to think that my example says one thing that I saw, and, and I think I saw it more definite with all of these people that you just mentioned have this one thing in common. But by me being Ronald and I were with Wayne Newton for three years, so I saw this day in and day out or night in and night out. And that is that any there has never been any time that he has ever walked on stage that he didn't give everything he had. I remember we played this one fair, and he was running a temperature so high that the, the uh, paramedics were waiting backstage. But Wayne Newton was was uh, contracted to play an hour-and-a-half show. We played a two-hour-and-a-half show, and he walked straight off stage and walked straight in. While we're playing the chaser or the, the curtain closer or whatever, the band is still playing. As he walks off stage, I watched him walk into the paramedics truck where people were grabbing him. He was that sick, and nobody knew it except us in the orchestra and wow. that's something that 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 will always stand out as a, a moment of this is when it this is tells you how real it is because i've always heard that from everybody my father from sammy davis from everybody that when you get on the stage those boards are sacred that i mean i'm getting chills talking about it but it's like that's sacred ground to to a real performer or a real musician it's like whatever problems you had if your wife was just left you or if you're you you're you're, you're sick or if your mother's sick or dying or any of that once you get on stage that you you can't deal with that you you have to deal with this and i think is so i guess the bottom line is is a, i have i have such a uh an innate and an ingrained respect for the audience, that I don't even know how to, to pace myself. Now that I'm getting older, certain people, have <laughs> they come and see me, and they're like, Ronnie, you're going to have to start pulling back. I don't know how to do that. Because once I get on stage, for me to not give it everything i got would feel like it would feel blasphemous, <laughs> for lack of a better <laughs> word. It would, it would feel like... I'm doing my family a dishonor. I'm doing everything that I stand for a dishonor to to not do my best, whatever that is. And 
And that's one thing that was consistent with everybody that that you just mentioned that I've been around. So over your career, you've been given pretty big awards. The Jazz Museum gave you a Living Legends Award. Uh, Ingrams voted you as a Best Entertainer. And you've gotten a lot of awards over the years. What do these awards mean to you? How do they gratify your artistic end? That's a very interesting question. Every one of those awards healed me up emotionally. I, when I got the, the the award from the Jazz Museum, I couldn't even talk. Because, and the same thing from Tapology when they honored my brother and I. For me to be honored by my peers or people that I look up to, it's still a very humbling, even talking about it. I mean, it's, it's like, I think I, I'm so into trying to do a good job that I, I never know. I never know. And then to be acknowledged, I don't even know how to explain it now. I, 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 I'm very humbled by it. I don't even know if I deserve it. I, I'm being honest. I, I don't know. And so because I don't know, maybe I appreciate the fact that I was thought of more because I'm, I'm not, I'm not at a point or at a, a level that, that I think, well, shoot, I'm a shoe in. I'm, I'm there. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm kind of reached that where, well, who else? If not me, who? I, I haven't, I haven't reached that. I can think of so many people that I think are doing or have done so much more than me. So for me to be, even even you asked about me being chosen to be the Charlie, that's a humbling thing for me. Because I love Charlie Parker, and I'm going to do something to honor him anyway. But for the people that are over the, the Charlie Parker celebration to say, well, this year we want you to be one of the main guys around. That's, when I was first called, it still scares me. Actually, it still scares me. And, but... It also filled me up emotionally because I, I don't I don't know if I deserve it I, I really don't I, I I don't but I'm I'm glad that somebody likes what I'm doing enough to think well I, we want you to do it and so it's it's a very humbling thing and it it really is it's something I appreciate like I said Kansas City is is very good to me and like Buck O'Neill used to say I am just at the right place at the right time. I'm exactly where I need. I don't know. I don't know what to say. Speaking of Kansas City, what do you like best about this town? Oh, man. There's so much I like about Kansas City. I like the, okay, let's start at the top. The, the jazz and the barbecue. That's where, for me, everything else, and then I can go down the list. I mean, I love the way <laughs> that the city rallied behind the Royals. It, it brought us all together, all of us together. I like it. The way that when one of the chiefs comes out to see me, and they 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 make me feel like I'm the star, and true, and and obviously I'm not. I'm the, I'm the guy on stage right now, but they they perform in front of thirty thousand people every week. I perform for a couple of hundred every night, and so I I love the camaraderie that people have here. This is this is a great place to raise children. This is a great the schools. Um, well. I, right now, Kansas City School District is going through a thing, but the suburbs, the education is second to none. So I still consider that Kansas City. By me being a musician, my thing is I like the music scene. I think that's the thing that stands out to me because I have done a lot of traveling. 
I know what it's like in Chicago and New York and New Orleans and, and Memphis and, and all these places. And none of these places have anything on Kansas City's music scene. None of them. The only thing that we have got to do is to figure out how to market it and how to centralize it. Like, I think that the 18th and Vine Street area needs to be the, uh, the French Quarter of Kansas City. We need, I think it needs to be more central. And I, and don't get me wrong, I don't think it needs to end at 18th and Vine. I, I, I have a vision of 18th and Vine going all the way over to, to the Green Lady Lounge. I think all of that should be the French Quarter of Kansas City. All of 18th Street, all that whole thing from, from Vine Street to, to Grand Street, that should be full of, and maybe one day it'll happen because, you know, with the crossroads area being what it is, it's starting to, to, they, we have all these young artists. Again, the, the, the youth, the, the, when I say youth, I mean people in their twenties and thirties. <laughs> I'm, I'm an old dude. So I like what Kansas City is now and I like what it's, it seems like it's getting ready to be. That's what I like. Right on. How do you feel about your career after all of the years that you've been in this town and everything that you've done? Are you happy? I'm happy with the way that I'm received in my hometown. You know, it's, it's you know, I could, I could talk about making more money or going to, to places and getting more glamour or whatever, but it's something about going to the grocery store and people let me know how good it made them feel when I sung a special song to their father that was in World War Two before he died or something like that. Or somebody that just came back from a desert storm or, or you know, different things like that. Or when they brought their grandmother out and I sung Happy Birth or did I didn't I don't sing happy but I always try to do something. Little moments that that let me know that I've touched things that I've forgotten about. I, I I gotta admit, most of the times when this happens, but it touches me because I am in my own hometown and they see me they embrace me as much as I embrace the city. It's not like I embrace a city that is said to hell with me. I embrace a city that has shown like you just mentioned, you just mentioned the Jazz Museum gave my brother and I this out the Ingram's Magazine, the readers, chose me second best entertainer. And I'm a second. You, you know who, who was first that year? Tech Nash. How can I not be excited about yeah. that? that yeah. The same people that chose Tech Nine chose me as the next guy. I'm like, this is unbelievable. Do you realize how old I am? <laughs> this is so cool to me. So, yes, I wish I was making a bunch of, a lot more money. I mean, who, who wouldn't? I, I, I haven't met anybody that says I make enough. <laughs> so, I wish, I wish that, that I, you know, if my paycheck looked a little bit more like this at Washington's or somebody's, I'd be happier probably. But I don't think I would want to live anywhere but Kansas City. Yeah, uh, this is this has always been the place I come back to, and I, yeah. I it's this is a wonderful it's a wonderful city. It really is. Absolutely, I agree. The one thing is that you've talked about all of these people that have had great memories of you on stage. So let me ask you, what live jazz shows have you seen that left a really deep impression on you? Oh my God! I, 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 I the reason I'm I'm taking so long because I'm trying to think of people that everybody knows. 
Yeah. I think the biggest impression that was ever made on me from a musician was the first time I heard this piano player that's in St. Louis named Pete Williams. The first time I heard him live, I, because I'd heard Oscar Peterson on television and I had heard Michelle Petrucciani on television and certain people, I'd heard Kirby Hancock on television, but I'd never witnessed anybody on that level. So I think, oh, oh okay, Pete Williams, let's this now I, it's starting to open up for me. Pete Williams, the first time I heard him sing, Arturo Sandoval, the first time I heard him at the North Sea Jazz Festival in a basement. He was in a, my brother and I were being booked by Count Basie Orchestra, so we were playing on the main stage with same stage Miles Davis and Winter Marcellus and, and George Benson. We were on that stage. They had, now the North Sea Jazz Festival was so big, they had like a convention center full of jazz going on. So, and he was down in the ground floor. I just heard this trumpet from when I, as soon as I got on this floor and just blowing so much stuff. And I went up and it was this, this, this Cuban trumpet player. This was years ago. This was before he defected. I had never heard any trumpet player play like that. And that, that totally, that, that's, that was a special moment for me. I want to okay. add one more. Again, this is somebody yeah. that maybe nobody that, that hears this or reads this will recognize. The, when I, and this was a, a life altering moment that made me decide I want to be a musician. First time I heard Clyde Nim and her. That was a band from around here. They were teenagers. I was like 12 years old. And they were playing stuff by Chicago and all of that kind of stuff. As a matter of fact, this one, Kansas City, used to have real jazz, jazz festivals down at the Municipal Auditorium with, with uh, Maynard Ferguson and the Count Basie Orchestra and all of those kind of people. It was, it was, and Bill Chase would come here. Clyde and her were on the, the jazz festival and they got, they got the write up. And that met, that was the first time I had an emotional reaction from music where you get the cold chills and you, you tear up when you hear the love song. I was 12 years old and I, I wanted to make people feel the way they made me feel. I had never felt anything like that. And that, so that's, that's definitely three performances that I can think of that have totally blown me away. Right on. So let me ask you generically, why do you love jazz? I love the freedom. I love the communication. I love the, it's like, it's like, and, and again, I'm not trying to, to sound like Winton or different people like that, but they've talked about it being the most democratic thing and it reflects the most, most democratic aspects that, that prevail in human beings and it is. In order to play jazz and play it good, you have to listen to the people around you. And then you you have to be creative enough to make your own contribution. And jazz at its highest level, you are totally doing it your way. And you're spontaneous, like, like this conversation we're having now. Everything I'm saying now, if I read it back, I might see that my language, I could have been more, more uh, proper with it. But I'm talking off the top of my head, and this is about as real as it gets. And that's what I like about jazz. When you're around good players, we listen to each other, and we do try to 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 give our interpretation of the 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 music, or 
to put it in more of a layman's term, we, everybody's commenting on the subject at that matter, the song or whatever, you know, and they're doing it through their instrument or through their vocal or whatever, the, me, me as a tap dancer, through my feet. And so it's like, it's right now. It'll ne- it happens once. It happens right now. And at its highest level, oh, I love that. It's, it's, uh, it's probably the most fun you can have in front of a lot of people. Absolutely. So I want to get to the heart of the Kansas City Institution, and I want to ask you this. Everyone has a version of you, your fans, your family, your friends, but you know yourself best. Who do you think you are? I think I'm a guy that loves what I do. I think I am a guy that is fortunate enough to be able to do something that I love and I get a chance to pay the bills doing it. And I think I'm a guy that appreciates being in this position enough that I refuse to not do it. I cannot imagine because I have done other things. And maybe that's what gives me this deep appreciation. But I think that uh, I'm a guy that's just so joyful because I can do what I do and other people enjoy it too. That's that's what knocks me out. I'm not I'm not so hung up in the art that it's just about the art. Yes, it is about the art, but to me, it's about me bringing it in a way that that you and everybody in the audience that we connect. I want us to connect. I want to connect with the audience the way I connect with the guys on the band. That's who I am. Well, I'll tell you what, Lonnie, it shows. It definitely shows, and I, I think, hope. <laughs> yeah, totally, man. And I think I think most people in Kansas City that even know who you are or have seen you live would have to agree with it. Lonnie, it's been an honor and a pleasure to speak with you. Thank oh. you for opening up the pages of your life and what you've done in Kansas wow. City. It's been remarkable. Thank you. Thank you so much, Joe. I appreciate you. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Kansas City, New York City, and spots all over the globe, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Lonnie for his dedication to Kansas City and all that great music. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store, visit NeonJazz at YouTube.com, and for everything Neon Jazz, go to the NeonJazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.